I'm Raina, and welcome to the Bright Side Reviews podcast. Uh, it doesn't officially have a name yet, but we're going to roll with that for now until we either decide that that's fine or we come up with something better. If you're new to Bright Side Reviews, uh, just a little overview. It is a site that was founded on the idea that every game has something to offer. Um, I found that a lot of game reviewers get really bogged down in what they didn't like about a game. I definitely don't like every single game I play or every aspect of a game I play, but I do think it's more important to point out the things that somebody might like about a game so that they can decide for themselves whether or not they want to play it. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the basis for this site. I write game reviews and previews on my site, brightsidereviews.com, but I like to talk a lot, so I thought that a podcast might be not necessarily a better venue for these thoughts, but just an additional venue where people who don't have time to sit down and read a full review can maybe still get this information. Um, I am primarily focused on indie games, but you'll definitely see me playing some AAA RPGs from time to time as well. In this first episode, I'm going to cover three games that I've been playing a lot of recently and really looking forward to in one case. Uh, in future episodes, maybe I will talk about news, um, Kickstarters that are coming up, probably more reviews. <laughs> but if there is anything that you guys would really like to hear in these going forward, um, shoot me a message. I'm at BrightSideRevs on Twitter. On my site, www.brightsidereviews.com, there is an email link as well. Yeah, send me a message. Get in touch. I would love to include more things that people want to hear in this podcast. So with that, let's get started. So the game I'm looking forward to the most by far right now uh, is a little game called Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion. It is being developed by Snoozy Kazoo. This is their first game as far as I can tell. And it is being published by Graffiti Games, uh, which is a smaller publisher that's uh, worked with a few other indies, I believe. Turnip Boy is a, a action-adventure game starring a turnip who is hell-bent on ripping up every single piece of paper that comes his way. Unfortunately, or fortunately, also including his taxes, which unsurprisingly gets him in trouble with his local government. Um, and so needs to do some favors to kind of even out his debt. <laughs> and it is an absolute blast. The writing is hilarious. I was in stitches like multiple times in the demo. It plays a lot like a modern take on older Zelda games. Um, so kind of very simple directional controls. You're moving through separate screens. It's got pixel graphics, although like very bright and colorful as opposed to kind of the older Game Boy single or limited color games. Um, and it does a really good job of both like honoring and subverting the expectations that come with a game of that type. So you kind of end up with a good intuition for like where you might want to go or how you might want to approach a problem, but every once in a while that will backfire on you. Uh, I don't want to give away too much, but in the demo, I made a really bad call about how the best way to go about reclaiming a evaded rent check would be. But it just has these moments that are super fun. There's a ton of like the demo was probably only 20 minutes long. You kind of just play through the first dungeon and boss battle, but across the like two zones that where that takes place, um I probably did like five or six little side quests that were all super fun. 
they felt really meaningful too. Like I really got something out of them narrative wise, as opposed to just like, uh, now the gay wants me to go bring this guy, this thing. Like in one of the side quests, I was participating in a shady rock export, which as a person, I was intensely curious about and wanted to know what was going to happen if I went to this rock deal. So it's done a great job narratively of really, I think, building a world that people want to explore. And the concept of him ripping up every piece of paper he receives isn't just something that like sets up the game. You will continue to rip up everything you receive, whether you want to or not, <laughs> which has, again, like just it, a very solid characterization of the soul turn up. Um, the controls are pretty straightforward, like I said, like kind of really, really simple directional controls. Very classic Zelda in that you'll be continually getting new items that allow you to interact with the world in different ways. And those items are also how you will beat the bosses, it seems like. So yeah, definitely very informed by kind of that style of game, but to really, really fun effect. The combat isn't anything, you know, difficult or crazy, but I think it does a really good job of being fun, but not getting in your way. If you're interested in seeing more about it, I wrote a piece on my site uh, about the game as well. So they just announced that it's going to release on April 22nd. It's on PC and Switch. I'm not sure if they're releasing anywhere else right off the bat, but would definitely recommend checking it out. If you like old school adventure games, you hate taxes, uh, or you just like really good writing. So the other game that I've been playing a lot of is Narita Boy. Um, this has been developed by Studio Koba. I think it's their first game ever and published by Team 17. Um, they've published a ton of indie games. So things like The Escapists, Overcooked, Ukulele, My Time at Portia, Going Under, which one of my favorite games of last year. Um, there's a review of that on my site, actually, if you guys haven't seen that. It's a retro 2D platformer. Um, I've seen some people weirdly calling it a Metroidvania in other reviews, but it's really not. So like there's not you do get new abilities throughout the course of the game, but they don't like allow you to go back to old areas and discover new things, which is kind of the hallmark of a Metroidvania. Uh, you just get new moves that help you move in different ways, attack in different ways, defeat enemies in different ways. <laughs> it has a very Tron premise. So the creator of the game has had all of his memories wiped by this evil entity that has appeared inside the game itself. And you, a player of the game Narita Boy, have been sucked inside and need to help recover the creator's memories and defeat him, um, the evil villain. Him is in all caps, which is how you know he's serious and very evil. Um, so him and his stallions are, are affecting the code inside of the game. So yeah, your main objective is to go through and find all of the creator's memories to help, I think, fix the source code is kind of the idea. And everything in the game, especially the source code, is talked about in these very, like, revering, almost like evangelical terms. So there's all this, like, religious mythology surrounding all of the code and the creator's ideas and how he wanted the game to be. It is really, it is a game that is about its lore. Like, there are so many names and characters and concepts thrown at you every second of this game. So if you really like a game where you feel like you are being plunged into a world, um, not necessarily that this world was created for you, I think you will be really into the lore here. It's also got very, very cool, like, retro 80s pixel graphics. So everything is very, like, technicolor and flashing and lights everywhere. And 
it's really, really a treat to look at and to listen to just really good 80s synth soundtrack the whole way through. So yeah, I'm having a ton of fun with it. It is a pretty straightforward game. So there are some slightly more difficult platforming sections, but nothing that I would describe as hard. Um, Combat, similarly, you have a lot of moves, but I don't really find myself reaching for some of the more, like, so you fight everything with your techno sword, which is a dope multicolored sword. Everything kind of comes in threes in this game. It's a really big repeating theme. So it's made up of these three bands of light can also turn into like a shotgun and you can do different kinds of slashes and moves with it. And I just got to a part where you kind of unlocked this like chroma system where it seems like you can use different colors of energy to have different moves. I'm not fully clear on what the benefit of it is. I really didn't find myself using it after they kind of introduced it to me and I've been just fine. But that's not to say that it, it's the combat's bad or, or anything like that. It's just, it's pretty straightforward, which is nice. Like, I think the highlight of this game is the story and the visuals. And so it's nice to have a game that, you know, it, it expects you to be paying attention, but it's not demanding as far as like mastery goes or anything like that. So yeah, I've uh, yeah I've really been having a good time with it. Um, I think the balance is just a little bit strange. There, I had a lot of trouble with. I think it's like the second kind of mini boss that you encounter. I think it took me like four or five times before I could beat him. But then the first like major boss I encountered, I did in one one shot, no problem. So I mean that could just be me getting used to how the game feels and controls. But yeah, overall definitely kind of just in it for the story and really enjoying the story so far as well. Uh, the platforming is pretty good. Feels like a, a little floaty in some points and there are certain there are certain like features um, like being able to hold down to drop down more quickly that are pretty standard in platformers nowadays that aren't in Narita Boy but I don't think that it really detracts. Again like the story is really what you're coming to this game for and to bask in how cool it is. It's really nice that it doesn't take itself too seriously either. You know, there's a part when you get the sword, you're kind of, your character dances around and there's like guys raving behind you and stuff. Like it's, it's nice that it can have this very kind of like serious and grounded story in terms of what you get to see of the creator's memories. Um, while still knowing that it's a fun 80s video game. It's also got a really cool like CRT effect on it. Uh, makes it a little bit hard to see enemies if they're at like the corners of your screen but it gives a very cool visual effect uh one one fun tidbit about it so i got to a part where you unlock a servo horse which is a horse with like a cool monitor for a head and you like plug your sword into it to make him go and it's a platforming section where you don't have control of your character just the horse and you're running across this desert and you have two buttons. You can either shoulder bash or you can jump. And as I'm playing it, I'm like, this is impossible. Like everything is happening so fast. And anytime I jump, then I'm smashing into the next obstacle. And I just, I can't wrap my head around what I should be doing. And it's so weird because the rest of the game has been relatively straightforward up to this point. So I'm thinking, what's, what am I doing wrong? What am I not understanding? So I probably tried 10 times before I was like, you know what? Clearly, I'm just having one of those nights. I'm going to walk away from now, move on. Um, and I saw on Twitter this morning that they had addressed a bug where 
that section of the game responds to your frame rate and it expects you to have 60 frames per second. But if you have more than that, like I did, the game will run at a speed multiplier equal to how much a how far above 60 you are. So uh, yeah, it turns out I was running at about double speed, which explains why it was so very difficult for me to time my jumps. So yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to diving back into that tonight. But yeah, I am having a blast. I would heavily recommend checking it out if you like platformers, if you like the 80s, or if you like things with absurdly deep lore and very, very cool visuals. I'm playing it on Game Pass on PC. So it is available there. It is also available for PS4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, uh, Steam on PC and Mac, or on GOG for PC as well. So the last game that I've been playing is actually not an indie, surprisingly enough. Um, It's Story of Seasons, Pioneers of Olive Town, which is sort of the newest game in the Harvest Moon franchise. It's a very long and convoluted history, but essentially there's the company that used to make Harvest Moon in Japan. And then there's a company that translated them or, or produced them, published them, that published them for the American audience. So the company that publishes them for the American audience has the Harvest Moon name. And Story of Seasons is made by the company that originally was making these games in Japan. So this is their new game. Um, I honestly haven't been keeping up with the Harvest Moon franchise directly. I've played a lot of other of these like farming sim, life sim type games, um, but not directly Harvest Moon. I think the last one I played was probably Magical Melody for GameCube. So some of these features I'm talking about might not be that interesting to you if you've been keeping up. I'm not really sure if these have become standard over the years uh, or if they're as new to everyone else as they are to me. If you are not familiar with this type of game, Like I said, they're like a farming slash life sim. So usually the the conceit for these games is you live in a big city, you get tired of city life, you want something more laid back and simple and meaningful is often kind of another point that they try to make. Um, So you move out to a remote village to begin farming, almost always on a plot of land that was left to you by your grandparent who is like a legendary farmer. It's always the same plot. Um, (laughs) So uh, games like Stardew Valley um, are really similar to that. So yeah, there are a lot of things that I think are really interesting about the way that they're doing this game. Um, There's a lot more character customization than I was expecting. So you can choose obviously kind of like your hair, skin color, eye color, um, hairstyle, all that good stuff. But you can also choose, instead of having just traditional like gender choice, it will let you choose your voice, um, what outfit you want to start with, and like the, the where your character stands for like cutscenes. So there's one, I can't remember what they called them, the names were so funny, but it's like, I don't know, like proud or like boisterous or something. Anyway, you're like shoulders are back and you're just like very open, like kind of power stance. Or you can choose like the default girly one, which is like your knees pointing in and your shoulders caved forward. It's It's a really great contrast. But anyway, so you can choose all of that stuff separate from choosing your gender in the game, which I think is really cool. I always, you know, kind of hated in the older games how I'd be stuck with this like extremely girly farmer. It's like, well, I don't really think that necessarily like checks out. That's not really how I envision my character. So it's cool that you have a lot more choice now. Other than that, like, so another staple of these games is a stamina system. So basically there's, you have an amount of stamina per day 
every action you do from like tilling the land to watering your crops to mining ore out of rocks has some stamina cost associated with it. And this is kind of meant so that you have less stamina at the beginning of the game. It's like a little bit harder for you to do everything. Um, And you kind of gain more stamina and things cost less as the game goes on. So, you know, you'll get a better watering can that allows you to um, water like three squares at once instead of one square at once, which has a huge impact on how much you're able to get done in a day. But Story of Seasons seems like weirdly front-loaded in a way that I think is really unusual for these kinds of games. And I'm not sure how I feel about it. So very early on, you're introduced to the concept of makers, which are like little machines that can basically take in a raw element and convert it to a finished element. So you could put in um, wood and get lumber. You can put in ore and get iron bars, things like that. And with these makers comes all these recipes. Like there's a lot of crafting in this game, which I guess doesn't sound that unusual. Like you can see how those things would go together, but because you can craft things like sprinklers very, very early on in the game, you kind of offset a lot of that stamina cost that everything has to it. So instead of spending all day watering my crops, I basically spent like a week in game only worrying about getting as much um, iron and silver as I could out of the mines, built a ton of sprinklers, and now I don't have to water my crops ever, and I'm making more money that I know what to do with. And it's weird because like, you know, it's almost always possible to do game-breaking things like this in all of these games. I remember in Stardew Valley figuring out that I could set up a blueberry operation that would keep me rich for as long as I wanted. But it's also early in the game that it feels like that's what the game wants you to do. And the other thing is the other half of these games are usually lifestyle sims, meaning that you're worried about your relationships with the other characters, making friends with everyone, kind of improving the town. But because there's such an early emphasis on optimizing your farm, I found that for the first time in playing any of these games, I truly did not care about making friends. Normally, I am obsessed. Like, so every villager will have something that they're fond of receiving as a present. They'll have a birthday that's marked in your calendar. And usually when I play these games, like, that's I'll, like, physically write out their likes and dislikes or type them now. But when I was a kid, I'd be keeping this, like, journal of things that they liked, how they reacted, when their birthday was, all this stuff, because I really wanted to be best friends with everyone. Um, And also, you can get married in these games as well, so you might be trying to build up affection for that. But in this game, I really, truly have not made an effort to get to know anyone. Oh, except there is a character named Rena, so obviously she needs to be my best friend. But there isn't any impetus really to make friends with anyone the mayor will come and visit you and be like hey the town hall needs i don't know rocks so we can build new benches and sometimes i'll drop by and do those but in terms of making friends and hanging out with people it feels like more of a hassle because you have to like go through this kind of lengthy loading scene to get into the village go find them wherever and then get all the way back to your farm to get back to what it is you probably actually want to be doing um The other way that they kind of downplay the social aspect is the, so there are events that will happen um, 
like holidays. So the first one you encounter is basically Easter. It's an egg hunting festival. And so they set it up really well. Um, The few days before the event, someone will pop by your farm, tell you it's happening. All the villagers that you talk to will be excited about it and, you know, ask if you're going, that sort of thing. And on the day you get there and kind of you walk into the town to start the event, everyone's gathered in the town square to talk about it. But there's no actual event that happens. You talk to the mayor, whoever, to start the event. It fades to black, and it just shows a little cutscene. So even in games like Stardew Valley, which, you know, were developed by a team of one person, there's an actual, like, minigame associated with the egg festival. You go around, you physically collect the eggs, and you try and beat the other villagers. But in this one, there's no interaction element to it. Um, And that's not true of all of them. There's a pet day, you know, like, a week later in-game. And this isn't real time. This is, like in the game time so each day is like 20 minutes long or something like that but in the pet one you actually did race your dog against the other dogs which was cool but it would have been nice to have a little bit more interaction in all of the events um especially because the the cutscenes that you get with the characters are also this static um there's very little choice or like player interaction that's really happening unfortunately yeah and the last thing i did want to mention in terms of like downsides There is a bit of a frame rate issue, so uh, the game's only out for Switch. I have just a regular kind of base model Switch that came out forever ago, not the light, and I'm seeing some pretty bad stuttering. I think the problem comes from the makers. Each one of the makers can only make one thing at a time, and you can't like preload it with a whole bunch of logs and then come back later and find, you know, 28 planks. You have to manually load in each stack of planks. So you know, I probably have 40 machines on my farm. And I think that's what's causing a lot of the frame rate issues. It's not terrible, and it doesn't stop the game from being playable, but it is bad enough to be noticeable, even this early on into the game. So I'm not sure what that's going to look like when I'm a little bit further along. I will say I'm having a ton of fun with it, as much as, you know, I might miss the social stuff or whatever. I think the farming is really well done. Um, I think it does a good job of encouraging you to try out like all the recipes and decorate your house and have a bunch of dogs and animals um, and continue improving your farm. The layout of it is really interesting as well. You've kind of got these different sections that are cordoned off by like needing certain resources to complete repair work. So the first thing you have to repair is like the coop so you can get chickens and then the barns so you can get cows, so on and so forth. So, so far it's felt like I've always had a next thing to work towards. And that's kind of been nice. So I found it really easy to just play for a few minutes, kind of work a little bit towards the next goal, play through, you know, maybe a day, maybe two days, and then put it down, Uh, which is good because these games tend to eat up a lot of my life normally. So it's kind of nice having this one be a little bit less engaging in a way, but still fun to play. Yeah. So if you enjoy farming simulators... If you like optimization games, um, like Dyson Sphere Project or Satisfactory, this might scratch that itch in a different way for you as well. Or if you like crafting games, because there's quite a bit of crafting, I think you will like this game. All right, and that is the end of episode one. Thanks so much for joining me. I would love to hear any recommendations for naming, um, any other content you guys want to see in the show or hear in the show. You can't see these words. Um, yeah, I really appreciate you guys joining me on this one. 
In the meantime, until the next episode, uh, you guys can find me at Brightside Revs on Twitter or always at www.brightsidereviews.com. Thanks so much for joining me, and I'll see you guys next time. Thank you.